Hello, and welcome to the Marvel Center Podcast, a home for positive fan culture, and here to talk about all things nerdy, I'm your co-host Henry. I'm your other co-host Matthew. And this week on the show, we were discussing, yeah, discussing <laughs> uh, Doctor Who, again, because we kind of got to like a midway point, I guess, last week. Um, we did. Going through all the errors and the all that sort of stuff um, in the Russell T. Russell T. Davis era, and then we sort of stopped at the the soft reboot of sorts with uh, Moffat, and then I think we'll probably get into Chibnall as well this uh, this week to sort of round well, it all yet. off in a two parter. Um, yeah, so I'd, yeah, I'd, like, so I'd like to just I'd like to just say how appropriate it feels to be doing Doctor Who and have a two parter. <laughs> yeah, it fits the whole theme, doesn't it? It does. I feel like we're. We'll order. We're we'll giving them like a, a nod by doing it, even though it's just by chance. <laughs> um, so yeah, hopefully you'll have for the, the definitive Doctor Who podcast available to you from now on forever, because um, mm-hmm. that's what this is. <laughs> um, but of course, before that, we have. Well, yeah, obviously, I've got. I've got to tell you because it's part of the thing, isn't it? <laughs> Instagram account at Marmos and a podcast. Um, <laughs> um, um, where we do posts during the week uh, at the moment we're doing um, uh, Sherlock Holmes kind of reviews um, for some reason I just, got, I just got into that quite recently and reading mm-hmm. the books and then watching the films um, and yeah so lots of like that and a lot of different films as well we're doing at the moment obviously the podcast as well uh, so give a like, give a follow and get in contact and try to get back to you with whatever you want to talk about um, we'll try but yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, before that, before the actual big topic, we have the news. Um, we do. We have the news. Uh, We're back with the news again. Yeah, um, I I feel I, for some reason I feel like, like a, a disturbance in the force. I feel like there's some big news that I've missed. That's pretty big, but I don't know why. <laughs> um, uh, you've made me a little bit true? nervous now. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> Uh, kind of. Um, <laughs> so I'm kind of kicking the news off because it's been a big week for awards. Mm. Right, yeah. So we've had the 80th Golden Globes. Um, there's quite a lot to take home from it. First off, um, Angela Bassett has become the first actor to win a Golden Globe for a performance in an MCU film. Best uh, Best Supporting Actress for a Black Panther Wakanda Forever role, while Ki Hyoi Kwan had the audience in tears with his speech after winning Best Supporting Actor for Everything or Everywhere All at Once. I bet he did. <laughs> he did. Um, Steven Spielberg blew him a kiss. It was lovely. Um, there were some shocks elsewhere, especially as far as uh, Better Call Saul fans are concerned. As Game of Thrones prequel House of the Dragon won Best TV Series, beating Better Call Saul. Uh, Kevin Cost Kevin Costner also beat out Bob Odenkirk to win Best TV Actor for his Yellowstone performance. Steven Spielberg won Best Director, and his film The Fablemans took home the Golden Globe for Best Film. Uh, oh. Best Film in the Drama or Musical category went to The Banshees of Inisherin. I hope I've said mm. that right. Um, that film's writer and director Martin McDonough won for Best Screenplay as well. Also wins for Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh, making the race for the Oscar all more interesting. And Austin Butler has become the talk of the town after maintaining his Elvis accent when he picked up the, his award for Best Actor. Um, <laughs> I have were, heard the, yeah. the story of him getting the character so much that he, ha- he hasn't lost the accent yet, even though he filmed it like a year ago. <laughs> yeah, he's not quite. It stayed with him. Yeah. Which, you know, <laughs> I don't know him very well. 
but it seemed like a very jar little move. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, so there are more winners, and you can find that list all over the place. And your your news out out of choice for the full list. There's also there's also been the Critics Choice Awards, where Blanchett, uh, Bassett, and Quan won again. However, there are a few changes, uh, as well as Ki Hui Quan, the other hero of the people, Brendan Fraser, won Best Actor and also had the audience in tears with his acceptance speech. Um, Everything, everywhere, all at once uh, won Best Picture at the Critics' Choice as well, and the Daniels won for Best Director. Knives Out kind of also swept up a little bit. Uh, And there were victories here for Better Call Saul. It won Best Series and Bob Odenkirk won. Bob Odenkirk won for Best Actor. Giancarlo Esposito was ready to start jumping on tables. And uh, Odenkirk's speech for Best Actor had Rhea Seaborn in tears. Oh. Um, so, yeah, a lot of crying involved. Happy tears, yeah. though. Happy tears. Because I feel like for Better Call Saul, especially, it's uh, the end of that sort of era. Because mm. it's been longer as well for the actual Bob Odenkirk. Um, been mm. doing it since like 2009 I, yeah. I guess <laughs> yeah. yeah it's been a long time coming I'm glad he won something yeah um, I think it's a bit of a surprise that he didn't win at the Golden Globes but you know mm. Yellowstone's quite popular um, yeah. the House of Dragon one's a bit I mean it's good but I don't think anyone expected it to win best TV series but I hope best, yeah it, it feels like a first season if that makes sense even though it's good yeah yeah, mm. and that's, that's kind of where I've got again for the critics' choice. You can find the rest of the winners online, um, but that's that kind mm. of kind of over with. Um, but there is other news because the world refused to rest for a minute. Um, <laughs> we've had a trailer. <laughs> yeah, we've had a trailer for Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania, and it's got people pretty excited. We had a first look at the mm-hmm. MCU's Modoc for one thing, and a very imposing look at Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror. We've got some images yeah. afterwards as well of the time chair. <laughs> um, the stakes look very good for this. I'm very excited. Yeah, I, I think watching this trailer, I was more pleased with the way that this the tone was communicated in this one than the previous one. Yeah. Um, I, I, I got what they were going for with the first trailer, where it was like, you know, the usual Ant-Man kind of happy-go-lucky thing, and then mm. halfway through it kind of cuts to black almost. Yeah. Um, and, but I enjoy that this trailer leads into what I hope the majority of this movie is, which is I feel like what this Marvel needs at the moment is like a kind of a, a kick. And that, by that I mean like a real like big event and then to kind of catapult us into the next few movies. Yeah. Um, so as we said before, Marvel have been... Whether intentional or not, it's kind of hard to tell, but they kind of felt a bit lost, kind of doing stories here and there and seeing what works. Um, so I think this trailer really made me go, oh, I feel like I'm back into, we're going somewhere, and this is the thing. Um, yeah. And I, I do wonder, I mean, what's your opinion on it? Do you think Ant-Man will die in this movie? Because I feel like they're really hype it up. <laughs> they are hyping it up, which makes me think that he won't. Mm, yeah. Um... But at the same time, it feels it feels kind of big that he would do. Um, it feels appropriate. I feel, yeah. I, feel, I feel like there's a sense that with Kang having this big bag introduction, he's probably going to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would I would say, I think it's more likely that he'll kill the Wasp. Oh, yeah, probably, yeah. Um, that would make sense. I definitely think uh, poor old Scott's next on the line here. 
Um, yeah. I, th- I think the thing is as well, I think somebody has to survive because I can imagine this being kind of like a thing similar to, you know, Hulk at the start of Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's got to be someone left to kind of warn the others. Yeah, there's got to be someone to be like, this guy like, is for real. <laughs> um, this is the next final sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good chance this might be Scott's last film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I would kind of, I would kind of like it if it was. And that's not to say that I don't like that character or the performance, but I think, like I was saying before, to give this like some sort of direction, mm. I think you can't get more concrete in the stakes than a main kind of, kind of original Avenger uh, being killed. Um, yeah, and a very popular one as well. A very popular one. Yeah, I think that's kind of. It kind of almost makes obvious sense that the way to establish this, this villain as a, the big bad is him killing not only an Avenger but like a, a you know a fairly original Avenger mm, like one of yeah. the first of the lineups. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it he's one of the, yeah, he's sense. one of the longest standing ones at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, this makes sense. Um, elsewhere for Marvel, Doctor Strange three is in the works with the intention of releasing it before Secret Wars. Um, oh. This comes via insider Jason Kane, who claims it will arrive in 2026, along with an Eternal sequel and Kang Dynasty. Tied to this mm. is the movement in the release of Avatar 4, which could be moved forward or backward to make way for these changes to the Marvel slate. Um, the intention, uh, Kane sort of claims that the intention is to give Secret Wars a free run at the 2027 December box office. Mm. Um, right. Kane further claims that Scott Derrickson will return to direct, but screen leaks have disputed this, saying the director is yet to be decided. But they have agreed with most of the other stuff that Kane said. Hmm. Uh, yeah. It, I, in terms of the director thing, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if Sam Raimi would come back. I don't. Hmm. I don't think he had a bad experience, but I don't think he was like into it. If that makes sense, I think he made a very good film, but I don't know if he was like. Yeah, I like making Doctor Strange films now. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I think so, yeah, it's it's a weird situation where I think I'd be happy if it was either of them. Because yeah, kind of, I do yeah. I do really like what Scott Derrickson did with the first film, um, and the fact he's that it's a possibility for him to come back. I think it kind of shows that they are kind of on the same page with what we want to do with Doctor Strange, um, and they really did kind of push it with the horror stuff in the last film. Um, yeah. And maybe that's made Marvel realise just how, how far they're willing to go and maybe bringing Derrickson back is more of a push towards more... I don't know. I, I, it sounds like an insult. I'm not really a horror guy, but I kind of judge that Derrickson's horror is more hardcore, if you know what I mean. It's more... Yeah. It's more <laughs> uh, psychological kind of thing, whereas Raimi's style... Of course, they're both kind of... They both, they're both emerged as immensely successful people in kind of the horror genre but Sam Raimi's kind of style of horror is very much more gory and more larger than life yeah I would say with Sam Raimi when you when you're doing a horror film it's kind of this weird mixture between horror and comedy and a bit mm. kind of camp kind of camp horror in yeah. the sense that it's it's blood and gore and all that but it's also such overwhelming blood and gore that it can't, you can't help but find it a bit funny um, mm. yeah so I think hiring Sam Raimi that made a difference because it was kind of like we're doing horror but we're doing not like you know intense horror mm, <laughs> um yeah. with scott Derrickson, Derrickson, I, could, I could imagine would probably go along would want to do more so um mm. 
yeah so I don't yeah I don't know I can't see why they wouldn't come back either one of them but I could also see them both not coming back and someone new coming in oh um, yeah definitely yeah. I, I hope they keep the, the kind of the streak going of uh, horror directors I think that would just work pretty well yeah it um, would three different horror directors taking a stamp at it um, that would be pretty cool yeah mm, yeah it would um, that kind of brings us to the end of the Marvel news um, there has been more kind of TV drama stuff um, TN- TNT will no longer air the final season of the Snowpiercer series production was completed on the season however as part of Warner Brothers cost cutting manoeuvres it's been cancelled right. it goes in the same category <laughs> as Batgirl I think yeah. um, and obviously we're moving on from uh, from Marvel, Marvel but this does kind of bring us back to it Marvel Studios executives aren't actually faring much much yeah. Marvel Studios executives aren't faring much better than the Warner Brothers ones, as a Vulture report uh, has been pretty brutal. Uh, reveals that the Marvel execs have been pretty brutal when it comes to VFX houses and artists. Uh, this comes after previous reports of pressures put on workers last year due to their dense release schedule. Um, but this report claims how some execs, execs have developed a blacklist of artists who failed to meet their expectations. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's coming under fire. They have kind of been criticised over the last year generally for the pressure they've put on VFX houses, but yeah, this this seems to be kind of coming to a head. They have said they are going to change. They have reevaluated things and we have seen changes in their release schedules. But yeah, it's not a good report. <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, I, cause I, you don't really think about it sometimes, but when we see, like, the big slate announcements for the new Marvel films and that, like, literally, like, a slate of films coming out, um, if you, like, were working in the industry of visual effects and you know how, mm. much, how much those films rely on visual effects, I, I would start panicking, especially when um, they don't inform you of what's happening until they announce it publicly, I don't think. Yeah. So like you learn with the audience what's happening, and then that's essentially being told. So you got to work on this film and this film and this film and this film, and they're all coming out in the same year and these TV shows. Um, mm. So it must be pretty daunting, and then to have it not really be respected in the way that it should be. Mm. Um, yeah, and also I just think with, uh, I think the main thing with it would help a lot. I think with Marvel and this sort of issue at the moment, if um, the way that they handled it was by having a clear plan of what they wanted visually before making the film. But mm, I think yeah. recently, because of the production schedules, they don't get that time to really set things in stone and then give it to the visual effects artists, and then they get months to work on it. And it's getting to the point now where they get to set in front of a green screen and then in post-production say to someone, I guess we want this. <laughs> and then they get to work on it you know, for maybe one month. Um, mm. So yeah, it's a bit of a, a really unfortunate thing. and. Yeah, just, I just yeah, it makes me a bit uncomfortable about watching Marvel films sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's, it's not good, not good at all. Um, unfortunately, the uh, the happy news doesn't doesn't isn't giving us any reprieve. Um, CW show Riverdale will end with its seventh season. <laughs> um, it's been given a March release date. Also coming to an end will be Fear the Walking Dead, which will conclude with its eighth season. Uh, eight seasons, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> the first part is expected to premiere in autumn. It's the first spin-off that came from The Walking Dead, and the other spin-offs have also had a bit of news. Um, Negan and Maggie's Dead City spin-off will air in June. 
Daryl's spin-off is set for um, the lovely, nice and specific window of the second half of 2023. Um, Ah, Meanwhile, (laughs) Rick and Michonne series is looking at a 2024 release window. Production still hasn't started. Um, I hate to say it, but it's got all the markings of a franchise that's on its last legs. I'm rooting for it, (laughs) Um, don't get me wrong, but signs aren't great. So, you know. Signs aren't great, yeah. I am going to end on some happy notes now. Firstly, mm-hmm. the long-discussed Frasier sequel, the beloved sitcom spin-off of Cheers that starred Kelsey Grammer, is officially moving forward. English actor Nicholas Lyndhurst has also joined the cast. The Last of Us Ooh. premiered with a record-breaking 99% rec- critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, becoming the highest-rated video game adaptation by quite some margin, and Phineas and Ferb will return for two 20-ep seasons. <laughs> I like you all that news. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Um, I am also happy days. For... No DC reboot news this week. You are welcome. Oh yeah, and Not the read of the week DC. is Adam Driver. Oh okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Why not? Mm. <laughs> I I am particularly because I kind of forgot it was happening until I think I saw an advert for it. Um, I am very excited for the last of his tv show mm-hmm. um previous to these reviews i was a bit like i'm sure it will be good i wasn't positive it will be like great or anything that i need to watch mm-hmm. um but i think yeah hearing these reviews and hearing this overwhelming sort of praise for it i'm, I'm quite excited to get on you know on board of it and see what's, what's going on um, um, it's good the first episode is good oh, have you seen it yeah i watched this morning it's good oh okay um they handle the kind of they handle the start very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult to say without spoilers, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's very well handled and very. I assume they're doing. Um, is the first season the first game, or is it yeah. small split part? Or yeah, okay. Yeah, the, the the entire first season is the entire first game, supposedly. Right. Um, they've got the casting bang on, by the way. Yeah, Pedro Pascal. The casting. <laughs> They are the spot on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm very excited, actually, yeah. I can't wait yeah, to watch it. I do feel like I'm watching Joel. And that's, that's <laughs> the highest praise I could give. Yeah. God, I love Joel. <laughs> but yeah, that's the news. The news is over. End on a highlight there. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, I guess now we move on to uh, the part two, I guess, of uh, Doctor Who and the whole revival era, I guess, 2005 Woo-hoo. onwards. Um, yeah, so, well, yeah, I guess last time we left it off at the the very end of uh, Russell T. Davis and, and the, special, the specials and season four and all that, and mm-hmm. kind of how it was like, so, so, I feel like season four and the specials feel like a victory lap, in a way. Um, mm-hmm. The show feels so confident and so like, yeah, we're good at what we do and we're going to do it very well from now on. Um, and I would I think even though I, I would have trusted Stephen Moffat at the time I would have been very worried if I was like aware of it more at the time that there was going to be a new writer taking on the whole thing with mm. a new TARDIS and a new actor and a new tone because um, everyone had fallen in love with this thing uh, for the past five years and to kind of essentially it is essentially a, re- a reboot um, even if it's the same character it's a very, it is a reboot um, mm. and I, don't, I have to say, I think just to kind of get my overall Moffat opinions 
um, out there. I do kind of... I, I don't think his his run overall is as stable, if that makes sense, as mm. uh, the previous one. I think it's a bit more up and down, a bit more... Uh, he's too busy, if that makes sense, to kind of put his mind on this show proper, like, properly. Um, mm. But I, overall, what I will say is that I do prefer his take on the character and the world. Um, for me, I... I this episodes that I love and I really adore and in the top ten are mostly from this era and his him as a writer. Mm. Um, so I think when he does it well, he does it the best. Um, and I think his first season with Matt Smith is the one that really for me is the perfect like sort of summary of what I love about the character and I think how I write the character, which is kind of a more fairy tale sort of aspect to it. Um, mm. Yeah. So I just yeah, I wanna ask you what your kind of if you were to sum up your opinion on the overall Moffat era, what would you say? I think um I can't remember if we mentioned it in the last episode, but I remember one of the things we've sort of messaged about is that a lot of what you can say about kind of comparing uh, Stephen Moffat with the Russell T. Davis era is that Russell T. Davis had a really tight grip and a great ability to pull off the season long stories. Mm. That was definitely kind of where his strength was, whereas Moffat was able to, you know, when he came in and wrote episodes, he was really able to knock it out of the park with singular, kind of isolated stories, or several part of ones, if you know what I mean. Um, And so when he, when this kind of the reins get handed over to, to Moffat, it kind of creates a very different scenario where all of a sudden he's in charge of 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 the bigger, arching storylines, and I think he kind of across his whole run. I think he has a bit of a mixed kind of output when it comes to it. However, similar to what I said next last week, even um, when Moffat stuff is good, it's really good. Yeah. Um, and I think when kind of he reaches them, them those highest peaks, I think he does kind of outshine other runs on the on the show. Um, and I can completely understand how how someone could say that one of the seasons from Moffat's run, particularly for me, probably the first se- season with with him and Matt Smith, um, I can definitely see how people maybe prefer his version. I think, yeah, I think he he does a great job of kind of the changing eras that that surround the show, like the changing of of lit- actual real life time. Because I think the show starts in the 2000s, yet when kind of Moffat takes control, we're moving into the 2010s, things are changing. And I think if you look at the very first episodes with Russell T. Davies, it's quite clearly a naughty show. Yeah, yeah, Um, (laughs) And I think Moffat does a great job of transitioning it into a show that, you know, fits in the the 2010s. Um, Mm -hmm. It it, it never... It's something that often gets overlooked but I think he does a great job of making sure the series doesn't feel dated mm, yeah um, and yeah and I think even though he's kind of carrying on with he, he's now in charge of those big season long stories I think he still does maintain those really good episodes that are, that are perhaps singular because he is also a very busy man um, he's because, very busy yeah, at this time <laughs> um, he's also writing Sherlock I think at the same time isn't he yeah, yeah. It's actually the same year as uh, his Doctor Who comes out. It's the exact same year as the first Sherlock season. Yeah. Um, so I can't, 
I mean, to be fair, I, I guess, I mean, this is very much an I guess statement, but there is only three episodes of a Sherlock show every season. Mm. But even then, it's still, you know, it's still quite a lot to put yourself through. Yeah, there's <laughs> uh, a lot to, to do back. there. Yeah, especially when, it, you know, when both shows are so famous and, you know, you've got to live up to the expectations and the standards you set out from the beginning. I, I can't imagine, like, when I write something... I, I I do one thing <laughs> and I take ages to do it. So I can't imagine doing like 17 things and giving them all equal effort, if that makes sense. Because, yeah, it must be it must be tiring. But at the same time, he's totally knocked out of the park, I, I would say, especially with his first season, um, mm. Series 5. I don't think it's a hot take or anything to say that his first series is, is possibly his best. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it doesn't include best episodes ever it's mostly just because it's just a his most well-structured um uh season in which like things do pay off very well at the very end and mm-hmm. there feels like a proper arc going through it where i feel like season series six and maybe series seven it's when it comes to like arcs that kind of continue throughout the whole thing it's built all over the place it's not really there until it needs to be there if that makes sense mm. um but series five, and I think just to kind of start the start, I guess, with the eleventh hour, the first um, episode with Matt Smith, I think that episode is such a classic and yeah. so uh, good. And I think what it gets right and what it really nails down is a very big statement. It feels like a very big statement of what we're going to do going forward, which is we're going to lean far more into the timey wimey stuff. Um, we're going to do a lot more uh, fairy tale like things. The music is going to be a lot more kind of, I don't know how to put it, but I just love the music in this series going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that the, the you know Murray Gold score before that wasn't good. It was very good, but mm-hmm. I think series five onwards, especially in the Matt Smith era, that theme tune especially, um, it's just a, a perfect like adrenaline sort of theme tune. <laughs> um, and it's perfect. And I think this episode, what it gets right as well is this kind of, a mismatch of its exposition and it's running for corridors and it's running about under time and pressure and it's all of that but it's also the story about these two people meeting and it's kind of fairy tale of growing up and having this hero in your life that's not been there since you were a child and kind of coming to terms with it actually being real and you weren't crazy and it's it's like a, a weird like amalgamation of like 10 different things it's doing at once and it somehow is perfectly like put together um and when you get to the point where Matt Smith says the line, like I think something like I'm, I'm the Doctor, so basically run, and he's wearing his he's wearing his outfit, the bow tie and the, all that, mm. like it's just, it's like it feel I can't help but imagine if I was you know watching it at the time when I was that age, it would have felt like someone's like having a moment of like someone saying it's going to be all right, like we've we've got this, <laughs> this show's not going to go downhill <laughs> from here on out, like it's going to be good, because um, mm. that's what it feels like, um, yeah, and I think. I guess just to talk about Matt Smith for a bit is, I for me, he I think he's my favorite. It's between two actors, and I think he's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just I think what I love most about him is is the way he kind of more often than not kind of manages to get across the idea that it's a very old man <laughs> in a very young body. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a very cause sometimes the way he talks and like rubs his hands and does like little lectures. He's like, mm. oh, you can you can tell that he's like a, in like a hundred year old whatever, like nine hundred year old 
professor essentially mm. where he's trapped in this yeah. like kind of you know youthful exuberant body sort of thing yeah he looks like an old man that's gotten used to having a hunch and has all of a sudden <laughs> forgotten that he can now stand up straight yeah yeah the way he walks around is very much like he's in pain yeah. <laughs> but he's also like his limbs are just always moving around like he's just like not ever not moving um, mm. so it's a weird mixture and I think what best gets that across as well as the outfit um, which I think is you know I think with the Doctor Who kind of costume outfits I think the perfect kind of thing is getting this very specific halfway mark between a, a costume and an actual outfit that someone would wear mm. um, and I feel like this bow tie tweed sort of look is very much a, in a very good halfway point between something someone would actually wear and like a costume you wear at Halloween <laughs> that sort of thing um it's believable that someone will wear it, but also it's quite like you know, very specific to wear it all the time. <laughs> um, and I think yeah, I just like the way he moves around scenes. I love his, I love his darker moments that he gets quite a few of. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoy, I just enjoy also his companions. Um, I think when you think of obviously he's had more than these, but I think when you think of Matt Smith, uh, you can't help but imagine him interacting with Amy Pond or Rory, um, and I think. That this is a perfect trio, and I think it's a perfect um, breakaway from the previous sort of risk that we were getting into, with which was, is he going to kiss every companion from, from now on? Because <laughs> like it's getting a bit weird. Um, so I think this kind of going less into the romantic or, you know, anything like that sort of thing. Even though they do hint towards it, but it's more kind of a, a flaw in in Amy's character to get over. Um, the idea that it's sort of a family dynamic instead of a, a two-way sort of romantic or even a best friend sort of thing. It's kind of like this weird sort of, you know, the doctor's a very mm. smart child and they're his parents. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like that sort of thing. Uh, and yeah, I just love it. And I think their dynamic is maybe my favourite in terms of like this kind of, this, this kind of free, uh, free person dynamic is very fun. Um, and yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, for you... Uh, is Amy Pond and Roy Reynolds kind of like up there for you with the, the companions? Um, I, yeah, I was going to say that, um, you know, there's a lot of people, maybe my parents included, might be very upset for me to say this, but I do think that Amy Pond and I've forgotten his name. So it can't be that can't be that popular with me, but I've forgotten the character's name. <laughs> Rory. Rory, yes. Amy and Rory yeah. are probably my favourite companions. Mm. Um, yeah, I love it. Just because of that, that... I think it, it's difficult in terms of number of companions because obviously we're going to get to the later seasons with Chris Chibnall later, um, but there can be a problem when you have too many companions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it was a bit of a risk saying, you know, you, you are going to have two. I mean, he does have two, but sometimes he doesn't have two because I think Amy is definitely the definitive companion and then Rory is like a bonus package. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> But yeah, having the two of them there and having the three of them is it's arguably my favourite dynamic. I say arguably, it's only me that's got to decide it. But it's probably like <laughs> my favourite dynamic from the from a lot of the runs. Simply because of that energy and that different sort of dynamism it adds. Like you said, it can be tiring getting the companions that are constantly in love with him. Um, <laughs> and I think the reason why, like we talked last week about the reason why Donna Noble excels so much it's because they have that sibling argumentative relationship. Yeah. 
and so having kind of this this already kind of preformed couple tagging along with him on adventures it really works and we'll kind of get to their their final episodes later on um if i can not cry when we talk about them <laughs> but um yeah. but yeah i think they are they're, they they are definitely among them and maybe my favorite of the companions um and just to kind of come back on a kind of separate note to what you were saying is while i'm i'm I, i'm not going to hide the fact that my favorite doctor is david tennant <laughs> I know last week we said that or I said that David Tennant um he's probably the 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 only one of the actors to come into Doctor Who and immediately kind of embody everything that he'll bring to the character for his entire run. Like he hits the ground running, the doctor that he is at the start is very much the doctor he is at the end. All that being said, I do think the eleventh hour is probably the best introduction. Yeah. Like in in terms uh, yeah. of all the all the kind of first episodes the actors get, Matt Smith's is probably the best one. Um, yeah, definitely. And like you said, it's that perfect because coming into this, this is the first time that both the showrunner and the actor have changed, and that's a mm. huge thing to get over. Yeah. And I think it's the perfect, the best kind of introduction that Moffat and Smith could have possibly asked for. Because, like you said, it encapsulates everything that Moffat brings, the timey-wimey, that kind of fairy tale aspect as well, because you have the relationship between Pond and, and and the Doctor in that there's kind of this mythological hero thing going. It's kind of looking to the sky, hoping to see a hero. Um, and I think it just... It really it succeeds massively in introducing the audience to this new run. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think yeah. what that the first um, Moffat era uh, Matt Smith episode gets right is because when I, yeah you're right because when I think of David Tennant I do think that he gets it he as an actor performing the character he gets it from the get go and he's, he's very much fully formed um, mm. but I will say and I think it's, it's true of most doctors from what I know at least is that I don't really find that their first episodes are, the, are like up there or as mm. their best or are episodes I look back on and go, what a great, you know, story. It's more kind of like a, kind of a test run of like how, how this actor operates in this space, um, sort mm. of thing. And I think Derek Tennant is kind of like, it's a good one, but it's a story in, in which, you know, he's mostly asleep for it. <laughs> um, yeah. Same thing with Peter Capaldi, he's kind of like half asleep, half, you know, not quite right in the head. He's quite, he's like got quite of uh, amnesia, I think. Um, and I think, but I think the smart choice with this, uh, this one is that Matt Smith opens the episode and he's he's fully just he's fully just you know him and he's fully awake. He's not having amnesia. He's not having any sort of regeneration mm. issues, and he's having. Oh, what I think is also brilliant is because I think sometimes I love the idea that the Doctor in his first episode is wearing the outfit of the last Doctor. Yeah. Um, I just I always love that idea, and I think this one is. I think this episode gets that the most kind of on the head because it kind of he's wearing it for the majority of the episode, and it's only when he kind of proves himself as proves himself as a doctor that he can wear his own outfit and he says I'm the doctor. Mm. Um, I think that's just a great little little way of kind of symbolically almost having the tenant in your mind constantly because uh, he's wearing the outfit and then mm. having him at the very end when he's proven himself to be wearing his outfit. Um, I think it just makes sense and it's, it's so well handled and I think Matt Smith just he brings such energy to it and I think that's what gets me about him he's just mm. such 
I mean, I think every actor brings their own energy, and David Tennant brought a lot of energy, but I think Matt Smith brings such, like, boundless energy. Yeah, <laughs> he's a million like, miles an hour every second. <laughs> yeah, like, every doctor talks fast, but Matt Smith's doctor talks, like, fast, fast. Because um, mm. I guess it was, you know, Moffat in the area of Sherlock, so I remember he was, um, he was in the fast dialogue mode <laughs> for quite a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, just to talk about a couple of highlights from the series... I would say the the angels episodes are quite good. Yeah, um, they are good. I think I imagine when you when people were watching this for the first time, they were thinking, "Oh, we're going to get more angels," because like it had been since season three since we saw them last time. Mm. Um, so getting them back and having it be this good was very good. Um, yeah. I love um, Amy's choice in which she's kind of all of them are trapped between a dream world and the, and the real world, but they don't know which one's which. Um, yeah. I love the episode, and I love again the kind of probably the most well-handled arc-wise in the sense that it's all about getting Amy to realise that she loves Rory and to choose the world in which she's, he's not dead because the world in, in, in where he's dead is so depressing for her. Um, the idea of having that be a part of the arc, a part of that sort of weird kind of dream narrative works so well. Um, and, oh yeah, and of course, a very famous episode, I think. I think even people that don't watch a show know yeah. about this. Uh, the Vincent and the Doctor story. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just very affecting. And I think... It is. Really, I remember watching it as part of like, the rerun um, when I was going through them again and being um, thinking, it's not going to get me, I'm going to be fine. Yeah. And then, then he's in that gallery and he's looking at the painting and he's like, oh my God, you've got me. How have you done this? Yeah. And it's the way Bill it Nye... <laughs> it's the way Bill Nye, as the art, like the curator, just says it sort of like the way he says it, I think. It's like the greatest artist of all time and all this. Mm. And I think the way he says it and this... The, the complete like unawareness of this guy being Vincent van Gogh and yeah. having a breakdown um, it's just so brilliant yeah, <laughs> um, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's a massive cool. highlight and I think yeah. for me as well I think this is probably it's it's a it's a it's a kind of a double episode finale that I crystal clear remember in many ways mm, yeah and I think you know I've, we have kind of mentioned that Russell T Davis handles the overarching story well. Uh, perhaps better than Stephen Moffat does, but I think kind of the overarching story of of Rory and and Amy in this season really works well when it comes to the finale. Yeah, I feel the way I think about it is I feel like Moffat had his like he's been thinking about writing this character for decades and decades, and mm. I almost feel like I don't think it's true, but I, I it kind of feels this way the way in his first series he's got he's got in all of his his ideas and dreams out there you know yeah. like he's like he's like anything he wanted to do in his life with his character he's done in his first series to kind of prove himself um, yeah. this is why I think his first series of Matt Smith is kind of the most well regarded usually um, in mm. the sense that this, yeah this this finale the Pandora opens and the Big Bang um, it goes so big as well I think that's the kind of thing about it it, it goes so big like every star in the universe goes out um, you know he goes into this he gets trapped inside of a box and he can't get out and all, all of his enemies combine to kind of go against him mm. and the TARDIS explodes apparently and like all these like major major factors and like Rory dies and then comes back and then Amy dies <laughs> um, <laughs> so like so much happens and then I think it has one of the best like cliffhangers ever which is just like this incredible shot of um planet earth and we're kind of zooming out and all the stars around it are just like disappearing 
and it's so like horrifying and like kind of eerie <laughs> for Doctor Who. And then mm. and then we just get into the finale, which is so like in my mind this is a perfect kind of massive scale Stephen Moffat because it's so timey wimey, it's so like all over the place but clear and not confusing. Um and there's so much character work happening whilst you're not even realising it. And then have that ending um, where the Doctor comes back via the memories of uh, Amy in the wedding. It's just such a back-to-back. It just, it just hits so well. Um, yeah, and I think this series is at a high standard, which I don't think the show... Overall, I think series... I mean, like in terms of like series, in terms of... Uh, I don't think any series at least in the Matt Smith era stacks up to this his first one I would say um, mm. I think there are great episodes going forward and great finales but I just don't think any of them are consistently as uh, well planned as this first one is and it kind of you can kind of feel the the struggle a bit in coming next to season, season 6 or season 7 I think mm. um, uh, so yeah I think should probably go into season six or seven then. <laughs> um, yeah. Because I think, yeah, because the, the series-wide arc of series six is a bit confusing and a bit kind of, I think the issue is that he went so big with series five and every, every universe collapsing and all this and the Doctor being wiped from existence that I think he couldn't help mm-hmm. but feel he had to warn up himself and have a, a you know a yeah. story where the doctor definitely like he definitely dies at the end of the series and all that, and the astronaut and you know time stops and time collapses and all he has had like so many big ideas and I think I think this season learned him a big lesson going forward which was if going forward you can do smaller more kind of intimate stakes and it won't be you know a letdown for anyone because. Big is great when it goes well, but going too big and just getting confusing is just confusing. Because <laughs> um, I think, yeah, for you, what do you kind of when you think about series six? What do you kind of think about when you th- if that makes sense? Like, what do you kind of attribute towards it? I think, um, like you said in the 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 fifth season, I think Moffat does a good job of kind of holding everything together. But I think it's kind of the season where. It feels like it's bursting to the seam, bursting at the seams in kind of a wrong way almost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In that, like you said, there is there is a lot going on. I think there are some great villains here. The silence, particularly, a the monster design mm. and b the concept itself is another. I think Moffat obviously his his big joy when it comes to monsters is the Weeping Angels, but I personally feel like the silence are a close second, as far as kind of yeah, the original monsters go. Um, but I feel like it's kind of the point where, similar to it in the Russell T Davies era, there was a lot of up, up and down, particularly in like the first and the second series. And I think that kind of creeps into Moffat's run at this this season. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of big ideas that are kind of uh, are gone in with, and maybe could have been done with being saved, <laughs> or at least blended in yeah. better with some of the other other kind of stories and there is still a lot of good episodes in this but it's a lot of big swings swing after swing if you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and kind of i think this is this is the season with the whole river song twist isn't it yeah this is like kind of her big season really <laughs> yeah um 
And I feel like there are parts of that that maybe don't work and come a bit far from left field. Um, mm. One of the things that up until now Doctor Doctor Who never really does is kind of retcons. Mm. Um, there's a pretty major retcon later on, which we'll get to. Um, <laughs> yeah. But this this kind of feels it 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 feels kind of a retcon, but not a retcon. <laughs> Mm, if you yeah. know what I mean, it feels like it's too stretched out to be, um, be something that was planned right from the beginning of of River Song's introduction, maybe even Amy, Amy Pond's introduction. Um, yeah. So it kind of makes it feel a bit not gimmicky, but but off, off the back of a season where there's just quite frankly a lot happening. Um, <laughs> yeah. It feels odd. Um, and it, it the, the show does something that I'm generally not all that keen on in that it shows something in the very first episode that isn't really resolved until the final one and, yeah, and I get a lot of that, TV yeah. shows do that with the, with the, with like a constant format but for a series that is more anthology based I don't think it works for Doctor Who I mean those episodes yeah. on their own are great especially the first two again with the silence and, and the impossible astronaut they're good episodes but I don't mm. think that the kind of drawing out that long while you've got all these kind of anthology stories happening in the middle I don't necessarily yeah. think it works that well but you know yeah, people might disagree with me of, on that yeah it kind of I don't know how to put it but it kind of feels like we, ha- we start a story and the story was really engaging, and we want to know where it go, what's going. Mm. And then, more so than before with Doctor Who, going to kind of like these monster of the week things, it feels far more kind of annoying in a way because you want to get back to but what's happening with that very interesting, you know, stakes, you know, are very high in that one. Why are we doing pirates now? You know, like why are we mm. going? Like it kind of like I, I think Doctor Who does a really good job usually of. Uh, monster of the week with something in the background which is making you go, oh, what what's that? What's like what's happening? Um, mm. I think a perfect example is series four where you know this is kind of monster of the week episodes, but at the same time, I think like every two episodes you'll see like roles in the background and it'll be like well, how is he here and all this, and I think that's a perfect way of having these you know stories that are happening every week mm. that are totally by themselves, but also there's this background sort of like interesting arc that will get that will come about at some point in near the end but i feel like starring story with, with like half of the end and then having the middle episodes and then going back to the last mm. half of the story at the very end is a bit yeah it doesn't work as well and i think as well with this is what annoys me about it is because i think there's a lot of great episodes in this series that doesn't mm-hmm. get a bit washed out almost by just the Kind of the weird arcs of this of the of the series. Um, I think for me, one of my favorite episodes ever is the Doctor's Wife, um, mm-hmm. which is a, a written by Neil Gaiman. Weirdly, uh, kind of came out on a <laughs> um, And I think, I think when I because this has a particular image in it, and it's an image I think of whenever I think of the Doctor, um, more than anything else in my like anything else in the show. Uh, this image comes to mind, and it's this image at the very, very, very end of uh, this episode, where Amy, after having this whole kind of episode where the TARDIS gets put into human form, 
and they sort of interact with the whole episode and there's kind of this, this weird back and forth that's very fun and kind mm. of this explanation as to why the TARDIS just doesn't work but does work if that makes sense um, and I love this this final image where after losing the TARDIS um, in the human form and going back to having it not being able to communicate with him um, Amy and Rory say let's leave him alone because he's, he's like you know he's like fiddling around with like the settings and all this and this is a, this beautiful last shot of um, the Doctor underneath the TARDIS, like the TARDIS, um, what do you call it, the console, and he's kind of like in this like weird sort of belt um, thing, like this swinging chair almost, um, mm-hmm. and he's kind of got these big, you know, welder's glasses on, and he's doing like, you know, all his uh, technical, uh, you know, things on the TARDIS, and the sparks coming off, and it's him, uh, is having fun with this big toy, and he's just trying to make it work. And this is this is like you know very Murray Gold Moffat era fairy tale music going on as the camera slowly zooms out on what his life is, and it's just what I think about whenever I think about the Doctor now. It's just him working on the TARDIS like a kid, because <laughs> mm. that's what he is. He's a he's a big kid with a big toy, <laughs> and he's just you know constantly messing on with it and trying to make it work and trying to do more fun things with it. Um, yeah, so I think so. Yeah, there's a lot of greatness in this season. Um, it's just yeah. I mean, out of this season, what are your favourites um, in terms of the, the, I guess the one-off episodes in the middle? I think the the, the you know the silence is probably my highlight. It's what I often think of. Um, and while I have kind of criticised the kind of the the hanging thread that exists over this season, I do think the impossible astronaut and that kind of visual on the beach um, of the astronaut kind of coming out of the ocean, I think they are brilliant. And I think. There's certainly a lot to love. I also quite like the God Complex. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a um, good one, yeah. I kind of like the idea of them kind of just, just being trapped in one location and 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 having these weird, timey-wimey things to just kind of sort out. They are definite highlights for me. Um, yeah. I think, uh, obviously, I've, I've, I've said quite a few critical things this season. I do still think it's a good season. And I think, there's, yeah. like you said, there is there is a lot to love that. It's kind of the first, or it's the only kind of full season where we have the full dynamic of all three of them running about. Um, yeah, and that is that really is a treasure. I think it's something that really, really enhances the show. Like 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 kind of like we mentioned with the dynamic between the three of them. But yeah, yeah, that they're, they're, those are kind of my highlights. I think for me, um, yeah, I think as uh, the silence and Doctor's wife, and I think it's all the girl who waited, which is. Mm. A really interesting premise and a really kind of, it's almost depressing to watch because it's so like, you can't help but feel bad even though it gets resolved, like about this person who lived for decades, uh, Amy, essentially, and mm. they had to wait for this, these people to find them. And then kind of when they meet her, they kind of swap her out for the younger version, if that makes sense. Because like, mm. they, they get both young Amy and old Amy, but old Amy is a real person who had that entire experience and she kind of gets left behind again. Um, mm. I do think my hot tick in terms of this this whole era is that I quite like the James Corden episodes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think they're quite fun. I think, for some reason, I just can't help but like them because I think they're the most... Um, I think it's the most Matt Smith gets to do the whole doctor in a completely normal situation sort of thing. Because um, mm. it's usually him... In, in you know having a house share or him working a job at a toy store because there's something with the Cybermen going on like this I really enjoy that these episodes because I think they're just so 
just fun, even though they're empty, they're very fun for me. Um, and I just, I just like Matt Smith being in that sort of environment where he's just, you know, very much earthbound. Um, mm. Yeah, so I think they're pretty good. But like you say, like we said before, yeah, I feel like the finale, for me, the weirdest part about the finale, the wedding of a river song, is that it's not a two-parter. It's, yeah. It's a, sing, it's a single finale in which the world is ending and time is ending and River's coming back and like so so much is happening in this finale but it just doesn't get the time to breathe at all um, so I think it kind of comes across like a, like a very rushed version of the Big Bang or Pandora opens in the first uh, series mm. so it kind of yeah it kind of falls a bit flat unfortunately um, yeah just a bit kind of yeah, kind of a bit of a shame, I think, this season yeah. overall. Even though it's yeah, I think, stuff in it. Yeah, it does. Um, so, kind of, do you want to move on to the seventh season with that? Mm-hmm, yeah. Because um, kind um, of... What's, sorry, what can you say? Oh, this, yeah, this is a seventh series that I think... Well, with the seventh series, we've got this weird thing where it's, um, it's split in two. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, yeah, because of the whole, you know, filming schedule and Sherlock and all that. But <laughs> um, <laughs> <felt> very complicated. <laughs> um, I think I think yeah, as well, well, the kind of split doesn't help, but also there is that kind of whole death of the Doctor thing that happens in season six. That kind mm. of... Um, every time a showrunner kind of comes to the end of an actor's run on the show, um, or when it comes to kind of the final season... Every kind of a writer has that ace up their sleeve when it comes to the mm. regeneration of the whole. Mm. They're knowing they're going to go and kind of yeah. being able to kind of add that drama to it. But with that kind of being in season six, I feel like it kind of leaves Stephen Moffat a little bit short when it comes to uh, Matt Smith's regeneration. I know it doesn't quite happen just yet. Mm. Um, but for me, one of the things I have to say about kind of the end of Matt Smith's run is that it, it kind of, in many ways for me, it feels like it kind of just rolls up to his regeneration. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Um, like, I think David Tennant has kind of been the benchmark almost. He has this grandiose Infinity War kind of level for final season. And then you get kind of three or four almost epilogue-like episodes building up to his regeneration. And for me, it really works how that's structured. But for Matt Smith, I feel like he doesn't really have that... He doesn't get the momentum building up. No, because, it kind of just happens to him. <laughs> yeah, and as well, he kind of... He just kind of suddenly gets a new companion just before he goes. Yeah, so the kind of... The saying goodbye bit doesn't have too much impact as it could have had, yeah. Yeah, because, like, uh, when... When we, when we get to it, but when Peter Capaldi regenerates, mm. he has no one with him. And I think that really works for him. Yeah, but then you have like the Matt Smith version just before it, where it's kind of a weird limbo in that his fr his best friends have already gone <laughs> yeah. because they go in and the angels take Manhattan, which breaks my heart <laughs> every time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, as well, because when I was watching it on rerun, um, when when these episodes originally aired, I kind of dropped off at this point. Hmm. So I never knew how kind of the Matt Smith part ended. 
Yeah. Um, so I was just watching it, binge watching it all in one go. And then it got to the Angels State of Manhattan and they're just gone. And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> they're just not there I anymore. I was broken. Because you don't, <laughs> yeah. you don't get the kind of the season being broken in half when you're watching it ten years later. Yeah, yeah. It's just episode after episode. As far as I'm concerned, that's just episode, what, six or seven? Yeah, I think it's episode, like, five, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's episode Um, five, yeah. So, yeah, and that's just... It it, it kind of, on rewatch, it kind of makes you feel a bit strange. Um, But I I do still think that that Matt Smith is, is on top form for this season, even though I think it's definitely kind of the oddest season. Uh, especially for Matt Smith's odd. run. Um, but there are still definitely some great episodes in there. I mean, his final episode is, is great. And as well, um, I know kind of Stephen Moffat's... Not Stephen Moffat, uh, Russell T. Davis is often the guy who is attributed with kind of understanding Doctor Who. Um, but when it comes to the 50th anniversary special, The Day of the Doctor... Um, I don't think there was a better person to handle it than Stephen Moffat. And it, it's not really part of this season, but obviously it comes before Matt Smith regenerates, so it kind of is part of this discussion. But that is also a phenomenal episode. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think the thing with uh, Moffat and his sort of era with Matt Smith is I feel like this constant kind of... It starts off so good, and it continues having great episodes, but mm. I had this continuous feeling of, Oh, it's a shame that he was distracted by Sherlock because I think Matt Smith's error suffered for it. Because I think, mm. and I think as well with uh, Series 7, not only have you got Sherlock going on, but now you've got the big 50th anniversary going on, which requires yeah. a lot of effort, a lot of like, we're doing all of Doctor Who at once. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like Season 7 suffers the most for that. And I think, I actually, even though, you know, the second part, does not include uh, Amy and Rory. I, I would say the second part for me is overall um, better than the first part. Because mm-hmm. um, I think looking back on the first part, I think it opens pretty greatly with um, the Asylum of the Daleks. But then I think going forward, you have dinosaurs on a spaceship, you have a town called Mercy, and you have a, the power of three, which is a very... I think all three of them are pretty... not bad, but just quite whatever episodes. Um they're almost like... I don't want to call them filler because I don't like when people describe things as filler. Mm, um, yeah. But they do kind of feel like they're just killing time. It, yeah, it feels like Adventure of the Week in the worst way it could be, I guess. Mm. Um, especially, I think... Yeah, I think especially Dinosaurs on the Spaceship and The Power of Three. Um, I think The Power of Three, I think it has a lot of uh, good ideas in it with like having the Doctor sort of stranded on Earth and he can't leave Earth or do anything wacky. He's got to stay there, he's got to go through time like an old normal person. I do enjoy that, but I think, yeah, I think the plots and kind of the villains kind of fall a bit short in this, in these episodes. And then mm-hmm. it picks up again with Angel Take Manhattan, thankfully. And then I think from then on it's pretty strong. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think talking about, I think what's interesting is that I love Matt Smith's, Matt Smith's The Doctor, and I think I I think he's great throughout the entire show, but I will say that I think his his final kind of episodes with Clara are maybe my favorite um, performances from him because I think he gets mm-hmm. slightly darker and slightly more kind of insular and a bit more 
Um, he's a it's a big kid who's um, lost his family essentially by uh, by Clara coming into it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think having, I think what I love most about um, the Doctor and Clara is, it's sort of um, just, kind of, just kind of dragging him into the light again. Because <laughs> then when we when we meet the Doctor in um, the Bells of Saint John, um, after Clara has like died twice <laughs> in the Snowmen and Silent the Daleks, um, mm-hmm. and you know uh, Rory and Amy are gone. I feel like the Doctor is very much in a very dark place and very much like a... I think he's literally a monk at one point. Um, and he's literally not doing anything. And I think having um, Clara kind of be this kind of bossy uh, person who's very much on par with the Doctor and doesn't let any, doesn't let him, like... doesn't To the extent that I think Amy or Rory would, she doesn't, doesn't let him kind of... Uh, be a bit too egotistical. <laughs> um, mm. to kind of she she will slap him if she if, she, if she needs to, uh, sort of thing. Um, and I love their back and forth. I think, yeah, I think Clara for me is quite underrated. I think that's my kind of big opinion on, on Clara, even though I get some of the issues early on. Um, yeah, how do you feel about Clara? I think, I think as far as kind of the oddness of the season kind of goes, I do agree with you that. She's a big part of why kind of the second half is perhaps a bit stronger, mm. um, and I do think they kind of they make the most as much as the, the best they can of the kind of the short time they have together, and that kind of story of how um, how she's introduced, I think it's really quite strong. I think it's quite compelling. Yeah, um, it adds a good level of mystery that a lot of the other companions don't necessarily have. Like I feel like. Um, a lot of companions are kind of introduced and then slowly there's kind of things that are introduced about them, if you know what I mean. Like they yeah, kind of yeah. end up tying into the supernatural timey-wimey stuff. Whereas right off the back, kind of she's the opposite in that she's right at the heart of some timey-wimey space mystery. And then kind of as she grows as the series goes on, she becomes normal. Yeah, it sounds inverse of like that, yeah. Yeah, I feel that's really interesting. I do think, though, that Clara's best work comes with, with the Capaldi version of the Doctor. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think she she is very interesting when she's, when she's in there and with opposite Matt Smith, who obviously has a lot of energy. And I, um, I think that... I, 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 I do also kind of feel like Matt Smith would get on great guns with pretty much any companion. Like, yeah, I think, there, I think... There, is, there are some Doctors where you think they... They're only limited to certain companions and you can't necessarily see them getting along with other ones. But I feel like throughout this entire kind of reboot of the show, if you pick any companion, I feel like Matt Smith would blend with them really well. Yeah, I kind of I struggle to imagine Peter Paldi with Rose, for example. Yeah. Um, kind of like there are certain... But with Matt Smith, I can imagine with pretty much any one of them and getting along or yeah. making something out of it very, very well. Um, yeah. I think with... Um, I think what Clara, what people kind of misunderstand is, while she is, I would say for a little while, kind of like this weird like mystery box character mm. um, before being an actual character. What I think people kind of miss out on is the fact that she's aware of that more and more as a, as the show goes forward. I think mm. with, with, with Matt Smith, I feel like she, she starts out with very much like a big mystery box of why is she so important and why is, you know, keep them reoccurring in time. Um, but I think as we get to like, near the end of her kind of run with Matt Smith, 
he becomes more aware of why she's around and kind of questions the doctor more and really I think at one point even states like I'm an actual person I'm not just some like mystery to you like just I'm not like some sort of big bad that's kind of tricky or whatever um mm. and I really love that and I think that's what a lot of people kind of miss out on when they don't when they kind of brush her off as kind of like this mystery boss character who's kind of wasted um mm -hmm. and also I just love the performance I think her performance is so I know I feel like it's I for some reason I just believe that a character like her and the way she says lines I just believe that she would genuinely put the Doctor in in his place the way that she does um, mm -hmm. and I think as well I think what's interesting is that I think I think I heard Moffat describe it this way which is that if uh, if Clara tells off uh, Matt Smith's Doctor he, he kind of rolls over and goes oh yeah fair. Uh, but the kind of the interesting part is um, with uh, Peter Capaldi is that if she tell, tells him off they kind of bicker like a married couple for like half an hour <laughs> um, which is why I think is the, the really fun part of that character going forward um, and, but yeah like you say it is kind of strange that Matt Smith says goodbye to Clara and not Amy really which is the weird mm. part I think even though yeah. you do get that moment which is very powerful with like kind of a, a, a kind of a, a mind created version of her um, in his final episode um, but yeah I think the big part of this season is that the trilogy sort of thing of uh, the name of the Doctor the, the power no the power the name of the Doctor the day of the Doctor and the time of the Doctor um, which I think are all pretty great I think people mm. obviously go towards the day of the Doctor as the, the standout but I think they're all pretty great and it's when I watch them I'm, I'm kind of like oh the previous episodes make more sense now because you were doing this, weren't you? <laughs> like you, were, your mind was on this and not as much, you know, the other ones. <laughs> um, which is not, you know, again, they're not bad episodes, but they're just, you know, they don't uh, have the same sort of cohesion as previous seasons, I don't think. Um, so yeah, do you have fond memories of this kind of this? It was kind of like a very big event that even people that didn't, didn't watch the show had to watch um, this sort of trilogy episodes. Yeah, like I said that uh, before that I kind of dropped off at the time around this point, but I did come back for the Day of the Doctor. Um, and I think it, 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 it was this, this big epic thing that was amazing at the time, but I think watching it kind of in the context of, of, of the show as a complete thing, I think it is actually even better. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Especially because there are parts of it that I kind of forgotten. Especially the bit where kind of they almost I say it's in kind of quotation marks here, but kind of bring back all the doctors in a way. You have them all arrive. It's kind of a portals moment. <laughs> a bit of a shiver <laughs> down the spine moment. Um, Capaldi's cameo in that is also epic. I love that. Oh, it's so good, yeah. Um, it genuinely takes me by surprise every time. Every time I see it, um, yeah, it's it, it's one one of the kind of the the only time that kind of a doctor appears before they actually regenerate, which is fun. It's just a good idea, isn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, these kind of trilogy episodes, it's it feels like a good way to send off Matt Smith, if you know what I mean. Um, I mentioned kind of the epilogue that David Tennant gets. I don't feel like Matt Smith's run up to this point is as strong. Um, but I feel like it's just people obviously don't like the word nice but I feel like it's a nice ending for Matt Smith yeah. it kind of encapsulates that kind of 
what you mentioned is the fairy tale feel that Matt Smith has. And we've, we've talked, a couple, I think, a couple of weeks ago now about that final episode, The Time of the Doctor, and how you have yeah. this Christmas thing going on. Um, mm. A lot of kind of these sentimental, comforting that kind of ideas in there for that, that final episode, and I think it just works really well. It works really well with this kind of really excitable, almost boyish at times, Doctor. And it, yeah. it's a send-off that, similarly to that very first episode, it's just very Matt Smith. I think it understands not just the Doctor in the wide context, but it understands this version of the Doctor. And it sums them up really well, and it's a really nice way of ending it for him. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think... I mean, my, my mind's a bit split now, because at the time when, I, when we talked about the episode, my opinion was that it's my favourite final episode of The Doctor. Mm. But then since then, I, I have watched the final of Peter Capaldi's, and they're pretty neck and neck for me. Um, mm. And it's not that I don't love End, end of Time with David Tennant or even The Parting of the Ways with uh, Eccleston, mm-hmm. but there's something about a Moffat uh, final episode where I feel like he, he gets it. He yeah. just gets what would be best for the character to leave on and what situation brings forward a tone that fits that character. Um, and I think what this episode gets so right and why I just love it so much, the, the, the finale to Matt Smith is that it's such a, it's such like an amalgamation of everything that made that Doctor that Doctor, which is the, the big, you know, sometimes confusing arcs that are like massive and timey-wimey and time wars are coming back and there's the silence and there's the Cybermen and everyone's here for a big battle. It's like, you know, everything's happening at once. But also it's very, very simple. It's very much just a guy on a planet. He can't get off the planet and he's trapped there for decades and decades. And he's growing old and getting... Uh, and he's just, and I love that, it's, you know, I said before, but I just love the idea that the most boyish sort of um, uh, childish doctor gets trapped on a planet called Christmas. Yeah, constantly snowing. It's I think it has daylight hours for like one hour of the day. Um, he's constantly just making toys for children. <laughs> like that's all he does. <laughs> um, yeah. when he's not defending defending the town. Like I just love that concept. And I think what's so good about it is the way that it's set up in the previous episodes with Trenzalore being his final resting place. Um, mm-hmm. I love the idea that the way they introduce it is so like haunting and like oh this planet must be some sort of war ravaging this place with like you know where every monster came from and the doctor had to stay there to defeat everyone that came out of it and like it it has this allure of like something happened here that was massive and horrible and dire and it did get to trends law and it's so it's so much more simple than that it's just a place where people live that need protecting and the doctor couldn't say no and i just love that Mm. idea he knew that he would die here, and that's where he dies, and it's famously where he dies. Like, it's, it's, his, it's his grave, essentially. Um, and to have it be, like... And I just love the concept of the Doctor, um, his final kind of moments, um, being a very old man. And I think what hit me about it the most, and what made me really quite emotional, um, is this kind of this story beat where the Clara, he keeps on coming back and forward from earth to there because he keeps, the doctor keeps on tricking her to go home um, the Clara kind of comes in and sees the doctor as a very old man and they have like one last uh, Christmas and this is like this very powerful shot where they're trying to pull a Christmas cracker and Clara has to help him because he's so like weak and old <laughs> that he can't mm-hmm. even pull the cracker anymore and it's just like an emotional kind of strange thing that like, you never thought you'd see the doctor do <laughs> and like be, be like um 
And then, yeah, his final speech is so good. And I think the, the resolution, whilst, you know, you could argue, yeah, it's totally a, a, a random sort of Deus Ex Machina sort of thing where the time will just suddenly give him new, <laughs> new regeneration energy. Uh, mm. I just, I still, I just love it anyway. And I just love the fact that he, he's so like, I've got no plan, but they still won't kill me because they're so scared of me. Like, I love that idea. And then <laughs> that sort of, he's so old and like, he's so kind of, he can't very move very well. And then have that, sort of, have that last bit of energy where it gets that, that energy from the Time Lords and he suddenly starts like moving around like Matt Smith again. And yeah. it's so satisfying. <laughs> and again, I also love the idea that, you know, dear Tent, you get this kind of, this massive regeneration and then with uh, Matt Smith because he used up the energy to kind of defeat the enemies I also was like the idea that his regeneration is so short like it's just like yeah. a, he sneezes almost and he's, he's Pete Capaldi <laughs> it's sort of like that um, I just like that and also his final speech is just so good um, mm. I think whilst I, I love I Don't Want to Go and um Eccleston's like I was fantastic I, I love those but there's something about giving the stage that Moffat does to the actor that just kind of give a speech that sums up the character and mm. sort of in many ways like many kind of real life themes that connect to it um, and I think it's just brilliant and I think uh, yeah I think what a, I think it's a really good send off and mm. I think yeah the day of the doctor as well it's just a great it's almost like too like fan service but you just don't care because it's so good it's so well done yeah. um, John Hurt's amazing so yeah good. it's incredible yeah, yeah. amazing um, yeah and do you want anything else to add to the season no I, I think you've, you've probably summed it up perfectly there um, mm. it, it's just like you said I don't think I think Moffat he just really gets how to do the regenerations yeah, yeah. and it's it's something that you kind of feel safe with Moffat going into regeneration, yeah. um, because you know that kind of the scenes themselves are going to be, they're going to be fitting and they're going to be both what you want, but also kind of not what you want <laughs> in the best way possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that kind of that does bring us on to a new Doctor. Yeah, a whole new Doctor. So yeah, yeah. Series eight. So I guess so for you, if you were watching. If you came back for series seven, sort of uh, the ending, the kind of the bigger mm. event, did you continue watching it from then on to Peter Capaldi? At the time, no. I never. The only the only Peter Capaldi episode I watched at the time as it aired was his last one. Oh, really? <laughs> I missed right. the entire uh, kind of Capaldi run, and rewatching it all those years later, I was really sorry I did. Hmm. Because I it's think so that good. Capaldi kind of arrives at a time when, you know, as a show itself, following the reboot, we're in season eight. We're at that point where people start to get tired, audiences start to get tired, and kind of the writers and the team behind it reach like a major crossroad. Um, especially coming off the back of a season where it's kind of disjointed with the format of it. Um, and I think it's a really weird place that the show finds itself in. And it, it's another kind of up and down season for me in terms of the episodes themselves. But I think it manages to revitalise the show going into like the ninth season in a way that I find really interesting, especially with what it does with this version of the Doctor where 
kind of you've been going for eight seasons and it's a point where you've got this new actor in and you do actually start evaluating again what the doctor stands for in a really interesting way with this kind of darker more gothic interpretation with with Pierre capaldi um and i think in the wide kind of general public discourse i feel like a great injustice is done to peter capaldi <laughs> yeah because i don't i don't like peter capaldi as a doctor i genuinely love him Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's, he's so excellent. Um, and yeah, I I just don't think he gets the credit he deserves. Yes, this kind of this 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 season eight does kind of feel like a bit of a transition period, and we'll get to nine in a minute. But um, overall, it just does a lot of interesting things with him. Um, yeah, I think he he, he, he yeah. is maybe um, he is maybe the worst in in, in terms of getting up to his speed. Like, I feel like his performance is good and where it needs to be from the start, but I feel like kind of the writing and the show around him takes a while to catch up. Yeah, it feels like Martha liked the idea of doing a darker Doctor that was very different in tone, mm. but then had, like, growing pains in terms of, like, getting out of the Matt Smith sort of, like, way of writing him. <laughs> yeah, um, because it is quite I a think... sharp... I mean, it works as the contrast, but it's quite a sharp change. It is, yeah, definitely. And I think I think what Pierre Capaldi gets so right, and I think this might this is what's sort of strange is when I was doing the when I was making the, the ranking post for the episodes, I realized that a lot of my favourites are Pierre Capaldi episodes. And when I find myself in a mood for like just watching Doctor Who things, I usually end up rewatching Pierre Capaldi scenes or Pierre Capaldi speeches or whatever more than anyone else. And I think what I realised is that Pierre Capaldi, when he's good, he's the best. <laughs> mm. um, I think he's just so amazing. I think he gets this kind of this very weary like, kind of sad but also very more and more hopeful as the show goes along with him um, sort of aspect. And I just, I just love how he's so angry but, so, but for such good reasons. Um, mm. And I just like the idea that uh, this doctor in this season especially is very much kind of self-aware that he's not a good person as much he has as he has been in the past, and he's kind of a character who thinks more about his his actions that have not been as good. Uh, I think there's a particularly a great moment early on in an episode called Into the Dalek where the kind of Peter Capaldi's doctor kind of tries to turn a, a Dalek into a, a good person, um, and the Dalek he kind of tries to wire his mind into the Dalek and the Dalek at first is like, oh, amazing universes and friends and all this and amazing like love and all that. And then Picapaldi has this moment where he realises that that's not all that's there. There's a lot of hatred there as well. Um, and the Dalek has a moment of like, oh, but there's also hatred and like this spitefulness and like just tiredness and... Um, and it, you can see in Peter Capaldi's eyes like this this acknowledgement of like maybe I'm you know not a good person like maybe I'm just not a good person this time around um, maybe I am more that more of the hateful side um, and we get that great line where I think the Dalek says something like you'd make a good Dalek um, and it really hits him hard I think um, but yeah I think with this series overall I, I think it just feels like it's it's just confused a bit as to what it mm. wants to be. Um, I think there's great episodes. I think 
I think his first one is pretty good. I wouldn't say it's one of my favourites, but I think as it goes along, it gets better and better until we get to that final kind of Peter Capaldi actually, you know, full-on. He's the Doctor and he's doing a whole scene with, with the villain. Um, mm. I love Listen, um, which is the episode where it's kind of like a the idea that there's a predator out there that, that's so good at um, hiding that we've, no one's ever seen it. Like, I just love that idea. <laughs> um <laughs> And then we get to uh, Mummy on your on your own express, which is strangely good. Like that title kind of implies like a whatever episode of the week sort of thing, but it's just a good episode. Um, and then Flatline is a great one as well. And I really like the finale as well, which is very dark. <laughs> um, the finale to the series is very kind of like, oh, we're going to that, or we're doing heaven and, and death and all that sort of thing. Um, it's very out of Norway in some ways, but it's. It's quite interesting. And I think, for me, I think, again, maybe a slight hot take is that my favourite uh, version of the Master is this version. I like, I love Missy mm. as the as the Master. Um, I just think her interactions with Peter Capaldi are so interesting. And I think as the series goes along, she's just got such a great arc in mind. And so I think what she gets the most is to handle the the heart of the character than what we've got previously which is they are best friends essentially mm. um, I love the concept that the, the master well Missy's doing this out of not out of wanting to destroy the world as much as wanting to prove to the doctor that they're still the same people and that why don't you just join me and then we can be best friends again and be two time lords amongst the whole galaxy mm. um, I love that idea and I think it's handled really really well Um yeah, and I just also enjoy the whole concept that the Doctor, I think very, very early on, sits down with uh, Clara and just asks her, like, point blank, am I a good person? <laughs> like, just asks her like that. Um, mm. And this, this whole series is about trying to figure out if, if he is a good person or not. Um, and there are genuinely good moments where you question that as well. Um, especially early on where there are certain times where he just lets people die for the sake of, you know, science, I guess. <laughs> um <laughs> And I, you, you sure to imagine myself doing that, but for Peter Capaldi, it's a really quite strong statement that kind of out the gates, he's kind of the Doctor, who, yes, saves people and stops monsters, but he will let some of the cannon fodder, so to speak, will die. <laughs> he, will let, he will let that happen and have no issue with it, really, at least early on. Um, so, yeah, sort of a, an up-and-down season that I think just needs a bit more of a redraft, I guess. <laughs> um I think the Robin Hood episode, for example, is very much like not what this Doctor should be doing. Um, <laughs> yeah, wrong just, Doctor. <laughs> yeah, it's like the wrong Doctor. So it's, it's not how this works for this guy. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, I think a good season, not a great one. I don't think it's, it's his definitive like great season in the same way as Matt's first one, but hmm. it is interesting. And I totally agree that it's a massive shame that, yeah, like you're saying, like I think when you think about the general public, it's between the two young, you know, Matt Smith, Dio Tend ones, and not Peter Capaldi's ever. He's not mm. much put into conversation, is he? Um, mm. So, yeah, I just love him. I think he's amazing, uh, really. I think it, uh, for me, it actually is between him and Matt Smith, um, which is, I know it might mm. be a bit of a hot take for, <laughs> for people. Mm. Um, well, whereas for me, it's between him and David Tennant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think one of the one of the things as well. I think it becomes most clear in like the final speech when we get to it in 
in his final episode. But he has that kind of Shakespeareanness to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like Doc, the Doctor's obviously famed for the speeches, but when it comes to a Peter Capaldi speech, it, it feels just grand, and it feels like he is on a stage projecting it to an audience. Um, yeah. And that kind of dramatism is is something that I just I just thoroughly enjoy every time he brings it. As well, there's um, if you didn't anyone didn't know, there's um, like a, I don't know if it's famous or not, but there's a newspaper clipping from like the eighties. Of of a Peter Capaldi as a kid writing into the BBC praising Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's sort of like weird that he's a fan. You don't think he would be, but he is. Yeah, um, it's kind of bringing it back to that kind of David Tennant aspect of just loving the show and what have you. Um, but yeah, it's like you said, Growing Pains is probably a very good way of summing it up. Mm. Um, but a lot of the ideas, a lot of the big ideas that Moffat brings in this season with this new version of the Doctor are really interesting. And and I kind of mentioned it last week, but I agree with you in that the back and forth between him and his, his version and Misty is really engaging, and it it follows on really nicely from where from kind of the last time we see the Master, um, which I can't necessarily say for some of the later seasons again as we mentioned last week. Um, yeah. But yeah, it it just it works really nicely, and I think going into season nine, it puts the show in quite a nice place, um, for what I think is the very uh, the best example of why Peter Capaldi is so underrated. If we're moving on to season nine, in yeah. the I think yeah, I think yeah. season nine is I think for me that's his that is his sort of his uh, like knock out the park sort of season. It uh, is yeah. Like Tennant's series four or Mansfield series five, it's very much his sort of time to shine. It's when it's when he's perfectly kind of in sync with Moffat, and it's his it is his big season, and everything that kind of his version of the Doctor kind of stands for is present in this one. And it you know the big highlight of it. I know we're skipping. I'm skipping to quite far into the season at this point, but Heaven Sent is one of the show's best episodes. Yeah, by far, yeah. I mean, for someone who goes on and on about the David Tennant era, Heaven Sent might be the show's best episode. It's very... There are some days I wake up and think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm thinking about it first thing in the morning every day, but, you know, it's... <laughs> but, you know. It's special. It's special, yeah. And I think I think what this season, season gets along the best with is it feels like Peter Capaldi is... He's in the mode of like he knows what he's doing, and also I feel like the character just in it in itself feels more comfortable. Um, mm. I think you get a lot of kind of neurotic sort of, am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Or series eight, but I feel like series nine, he knows exactly who he is, mm. and I think, I think I don't, I think uh, his episode uh, is opener, the which is the apprentice and which is familiar. I think this is great episodes, and I think. It might have my favorite uh, Doctor introduction, which is him on, on the tank with the uh, yeah, car. Absolutely, is, yeah. <laughs> it's just an amazing moment. It's like I just love the idea that this Doctor went from a very, a very much like a a guy who would wear all black. He had very kind of short hair. Uh, he was very rarely, you know, out there. Just like the same way as Matt Smith, for example. And I love that he's had this whole arc in series eight. And he has this very solid uh, foundation with Clara, and then he just he, he fully embraces who he is, 
and his hair, you know, his hair goes more doctory. It's more long. He's <laughs> uh, like a he has like a hoodie on for some reason. He has <laughs> he has sunglasses. He has sonnet sunglasses. Uh, he has a guitar, and I just love it. And I love um, the line of you probably like I think Missy and Clara travel to where wherever he is in time, and like we're looking for like really small, you know, things that make no sense in this time period, like a like a watch or something like that. And then, like, all you hear in the background is, like, an electric guitar, <laughs> a tank rolling in, and the doctor on top of that tank with sunglasses singing, I don't know, like, I think he's singing Pretty Woman at one point. It's, like, it's a strange, and I think a really great way of sort of almost rebooting a character again for the same actor. Um, and it works so well. And I think across the board of this series, there's so many good ones. You know, we've got Under mm-hmm. the Lake, Before the Flood, uh... There's Igon Invasion slash Inversion, which includes one of my favourite uh, Doctor Who sort of speeches, um, mm-hmm. where, it's in, where Peter Capaldi's Doctor essentially has like a big... I think it's very well earned, because I feel like this Doctor very rarely, uh, you know, says things he doesn't have to say them. Um, compared to Matt Smith, I feel like Matt Smith talks for the sake of talking. <laughs> um, but I feel like when Peter Capaldi says things in this show... He says it with very much a purpose behind it, um, mm. so I take it kind of more seriously in a way. So mm. when, it, when it comes to him properly losing it and being like, "I hate war. Why are there so many goddamn wars?" <laughs> uh, it's so powerful. <laughs> it's so good, and it's mm. so uh, yeah. I just love the idea that is they're on the verge of a new war happening, and all it takes is this one guy to be like, "Stop being idiots!" <laughs> for like half an hour um, <laughs> to stop it. Um, yeah, I think that's just a, a great episode. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, do you find the same thing with Peter Capaldi in the sense that when he says things, do you kind of take it a bit more seriously than like Matt Smith, for example? Yeah, there's a lot more weight behind the words. Mm. <laughs> it feels, yeah. while, like you said, with, with him arriving on the tank playing the guitar, there, there are those kind of lighter moments, eccentric moments, but it feels, it's, it's kind of like a when Capaldi appre- uh, approaches certain certain kind of speeches and certain phrases there's kind of just that look on his face where you know there's no messing about here yeah <laughs> this is the doctor being the doctor and doing it in a meaningful way um <laughs> like he kind of has time for fun but he he when it comes to business business is taken care of <laughs> um <laughs> To put it rather crudely, um, but yeah, it, it kind of just kind of come back to that Shakespearean aspect of every word feels intentional, every word feels placed in the perfect place, and I just that th- th- there's an enjoyment to a lot of other kind of speeches when it comes to the other doctors, but it's more kind of edge of your seat, captivated when Capaldi goes on one, and again, it's one of them things that and you just feel I feel like when um, Capaldi does like a big speech, I feel like I'm getting more of it insight to him. Um, whereas with, with big speeches with like Matt Smith for example you feel like you're getting more of a like a bombastic showing off to like kind of scare off an enemy whereas I feel like mm-hmm. when Peter Capaldi does a big shout about something it's so like he's really like really is fed up and he has no other way of communicating <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there's kind of to kind of compare it it's almost like performance versus efficiency <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of the peak of this kind of gothic Doctor's run this season, and it kind of it come you know they have the the heaven sent and hell bent um, and section, and I just think it's 
it's an excellent way to cap off kind of the season and then you kind of have the Husbands of River Song episode and kind of weirdly Capaldi gets River Song's last episode while also not getting her last episode because technically David Tennant's episode where he's first introduced <laughs> is actually her last episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I feel like he's the perfect doctor to, 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 to for River Song to have that final episode with. Yeah, I agree, yeah. Um, I think it's weird because he he has the least time with her, but I would say he has the most chemistry with her. Um, Yeah, he does, yeah. I always got the sense with Matt Smith that she loved him, but he didn't love her. But with Peter Capaldi, Mm -hmm. I do get the genuine sense of he actually does love her back. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's... it's, I think a lot of the, 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 the actors do have good chemistry with her. I mean... Kind of Matt Smith's the main one, but there's a sincerity that um, Peter Capaldi generally brings, but especially to that relationship, a kind of maturity, and yeah, he's just the perfect, perfect actor to have that kind of more emotional final kind of ending with her, because up until that point she has kind of been like another larger than life character who they've gone on wacky adventures with, but when it comes down to it when it comes to the kind of big emotional centre of that story, it just feels right that it's Capaldi that it's opposite. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And I think as well with, um, with Clara as well, it was him before him having a better back and forth with her than Matt Smith did. Mm. Um, I feel like her arc and her kind of part in the show is very interesting because she gets to be... She goes from this big kind of mystery box character to a character who has uh, a boyfriend with Danny Pink and a, a job as a teacher... Mm. Um, and it's very kind of she kind of gets more and more grounded and more and more kind of human and it works really really well and I love that going into series 9 as she, she loses Daddy Pink in the kind of finale that she kind of goes into the doctor mode like he's so bossy and so confident and so kind of uh, out there with the doctor and so in love with the, that lifestyle that by the time she gets to her final couple episodes she is very much on par with the doctor and very much like a, they're a double team like they're very much like mm. a, a powerhouse of like they're both as good as each other in different ways um, and I love that what ends up kind of destroying them in a way is their kind of ego that comes from that they're very confident and I think it's very smart that unlike in some ways Rose and David Tennant's doctor I, I like that in this way they kind of address that and make it very much a part of that season I think um the Doctor going too far in some ways, and mm. Clara as well going too far. I love the, I just love the ending being that Clara finally goes, we we've gone too far. I have to die. I have to face the Raven, um, mm. and I love the concept that Peter Capaldi can't handle it at all. So he spends billions of years in Heaven Sent, and then gets to Hellbent, and then does the whole thing, the whole plan, not to save Gallifrey, is to get Clara out of that situation, even though it doesn't, it mm. can't work forever. Um, I think it's just one of the strongest kind of, because I think we're so used to having very sad endings with companions, and whilst yeah. there's definitely sadness in this one, where the Doctor has, has to kind of forget her for quite a while, um, it is weirdly hopeful and kind of sweet that you know, it's just like she survives, <laughs> and she remembers yeah. and she gets to travel in her own TARDIS, and yeah, she has to die at one point, but so does everyone else. Like, it's not, it's kind of like this weird, bittersweet, kind of happy ending. And I think that's quite nice and unusual for Doctor Who. Uh, mm. So, yeah, I think it's just a, a fascinating 
ending to their run. And I think Peter yeah. Capaldi's strongest, um, yeah, Peter Capaldi's strongest season, and just a lot of highlights in this season that I love. Yeah, a great one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, do you want to try and move on to the the tenth and kind of final season for Capaldi? I'm also thinking that given our runtime, we pro- probably are going to have to put Chibnall in a part three. <laughs> yeah, I thought we could get get it in, couldn't we? <laughs> uh, because I, for some reason in my mind, I was thinking that Chibnall only got one season. Um, mm. He has like three. <laughs> he has three, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, <laughs> I forgot that. So um, mm. we're probably going to have to have this and kind of Moffat's final season yeah. as, as the big send-off. <laughs> Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, season ten, I think, it's a very weird one. Um, mm, it is. It's not bad. It's not great. It's just good. Uh, sometimes pretty okay. Um, mm-hmm. I like the companion quite a lot. I like their back and forth. I quite like. Um, I quite like a few episodes. I think. I quite like the opener. Um, and then, going forward, I quite like Thin Ice. And then, for me, it's really all about the finale with this one. Um, mm, yeah. But other than that, it's kind of a bit of a a strange route because it, it doesn't feel like a final season. It feels like a a first season. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, it does. Um, it's and I think I actually because I was watching a lot of interviews with uh, Moffat because I saw like into Doctor Who for a while. Uh, I realized that that was very much intentional. He didn't want to make a big final last, you know, sad goodbye season. He wanted to make a very fun, uh, kind of almost reboot season, which I get. I kind of admire that he went for that route and said, kind of dragging out the kind of sadness of saying goodbye to someone. Um, but I think it kind of leads to a very strange final season where you want, you want to get a companion for one season who doesn't really get time to kind of develop very much. Um, mm. You get Nardal, played by Matt Lucas, who's very. I don't mind him, but he's just sort of there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an odd one. It's and, an odd one. Yeah. And a strange as Peter Capaldi, I would say, it gets even better. Like I, I would say he gets more and more comfortable and more and more kind of into what he's doing. And I just don't think the stories around him support him. It kind of suits him that towards the end of his run, he's kind of alone. Yeah, kind like, of, yeah. He, he's an actor that, in the role, doesn't really necessarily need the other companions. Hmm. Like I, I feel like strangely, even if you didn't have Bill in this in this season, I feel like he maybe could have carried it. Yeah, I think this this final season could have easily been uh, a David Tennant kind of final special thing where he gets a, a new companion every episode. Mm, yeah, it kind of could have been like a you know whoever whoever whatever guest star we get for the week kind of done kind of kind of his final thing. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a bit of a. I don't. What's weird is I. I don't have much to say about it. It's not like I did. I didn't hate it. I didn't dislike it. I just sort of enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah, um, I'm the same with you. And it feels weird coming onto this companion. You've just said, we've just saying we've got a companion who makes it away fine and is happy, and then we go onto this companion who probably has the worst ending of them all. Probably, yeah. A really it's not, not, as, not as in. Not as in but not as in bad as in terms of the story. I mean, yeah. from that character's perspective, that's pretty horrible. Yeah. What it like? Because like for her as well, to be there for one season and I get that one kind of opportunity to do the character justice, and then for the ending to be so like, 
ultimately she gets a version of a happy ending that's very kind of nice but um the actual ending for the character like the she just yeah a very kind of sour depressing one <laughs> really um um hmm. but that being said when it, the show gets great in the season it's again some of my favorite episodes and i think in my ranking i think i put the fine like the final two of peter capaldi's run as my number one number two, number two um yeah uh the world enough in time and then the doctor falls which again i think i think it's a, a big kind of learning curve sort of thing because you see Moffat go from worlds ending, the Doctor dying, and you know three Doctors on screen at once, and you get to his actual finale, finale, and it's the Doctor protecting a, a you know a bit of land in a spaceship. <laughs> um, yeah. I love that idea, and I think it it works so so well. And I think the kind of the arc that kind of goes through the entirety of Capaldi's, Capaldi's run with, with uh, Missy, having that kind of come to a head where you get Missy reckoning with her previous self with John Stim coming back and you have mm. Peter Powley's doctor who has a lot of weight in what he says and a lot of kind of kind of tiredness and a lot of kind of people can people just be good and change <laughs> for once to have that doctor interact with that master and this Missy um it's just a great kind of triangle of like conflict really <laughs> mm. um and at least again one of my favorite speeches is from Peter Capaldi where he's, he's like She's trying to convince them to stop being evil for two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and he's putting so much heart into it. And then have John Sims master kind of just say, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> it's just a heart-crushing, like, oh, please, like, just for once, please. Um, yeah. Well, I think for you, how do you feel about John Sims' return as your favourite uh, master? Yeah, he is my favourite version of the master. I think it just works really well in that kind of these two episodes are almost like the day of the doctor just for the master <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you have like these two different versions and then just to have them have this really kind of off kilter weird dynamic that they have where they, mm-hmm. they're kind yeah. of flirting with each other <laughs> <laughs> they hate each other um, but they love each other it's a weird thing <laughs> yeah um and if if I remember rightly, the way that they they kind of close out their arcs as as the master is really entertaining and really fitting. Mm. Um, but again, it's another case of kind of the master is really well handled off off the back of what's kind of come before it, and it's just really enjoyable to have kind of both these versions of the master come up against this this version of the Doctor in Peter Capaldi, who has really had. It's had kind of the biggest arc in terms of all the actors, where you, you, know, you consider yeah. where he starts, where he's kind of questioning himself, and there's this darker version to have changed and be in a position where he's just begging them to do the same. Yeah, it kind of yeah. just works so well. You know, like we said, it's not it doesn't feel like a final final season for the actor, but at the yeah. same time, it it is a perfect ending in this arc and. To have that kind of monologue come from this version, who has kind of changed so much. I mean, the Doctor is never fully evil, but there is still that aspect of change, and to have that monologue come from him, it just feels so much more impactful. Like It feels like that he's genuinely learned and he's desperately wanting them to do the same. Yeah, it It felt like a more experienced place. Yeah, it's... It is just such a fun... It's a fun, it's entertaining, but it also it does have a lot of heart to it and it feels like a really good way 
you know, it's, it's not his final episode, but it feels like a really good way to send him off almost and have that be his, his finale. Mm. Yeah, and like you were saying there, I think what's nice about it is that it's not quite his final episode because there is the mm. the Christmas special, which again, I it's sort of weird cause in my mind when I say the final one, what I mean is the Doctor Falls and all that Cybermen yeah. stuff and the Master, but it's it's so fun to me that his finale episode is not so much the one where he almost, you know, he dies by uh, being shot by a Cyberman in the forest during his final showdown. But I just love the idea that Moffat's last kind of writing of the character is his Doctor meeting the first Doctor and then refusing to change because change is scary. (laughs) I just Mm. love that idea. I love the idea that the Doctor in this episode is so tired and so like, I don't want to change again. It's so tiring. It's so like exhausting and the world keeps on, you know, the universe keeps on unraveling and I have to be there to fix it every time. Um, mm. And I think having this final episode with him with the first Doctor be so conflict-free, like, there's not really an enemy going on. There's a vague kind of threat that's not actually real as a twist. Um, mm. And it sort of becomes more a very nice send-off and a, a nice kind of, kind of like a introspective sort of journey where the doctor talks to himself and reckons with all that happens because he exists and all the horrible things and all the good things as well um mm. and i love 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 the um the conversation that bill potts has with um the first doctor and it's just mm. a sweet moment that because the doctor doesn't even realize yet or still not even now um because the doctor's like i think she asks him why did you go out into the universe and steal a box and you know go by yourself and all that and he says, mm. uh, well, I was trying to work out why, after all my study of the universe, why good always prevailed. Because um, bad, you know, it holds the tactical advantage. There's no emotion. There's, there's no uh, holding back. And there's no, you know, this and that. And he's trying to figure out why good always wins. And it's just an obvious kind of moment of like, well, good always wins because you're there. <laughs> like, that's why. <laughs> and the fact that he hasn't realized that yet still and Bill Potts just goes, you still don't know, do you? <laughs> and he goes, no, I don't. He's like, he's like you're an idiot. <laughs> I love that. I love the idea that good prevails because the Doctor's there, but he has no idea about it, and nobody ever calls up a hero. Um, I just think that's just a good kind of final kind of what Moffat thinks of the Doctor, and it perfectly, for me, sums up my idea of the character, at least. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think for you, there's this... Do you feel like it is suitable to get kind of a, strangely enough, like kind of a, a nice conflict-free final episode? <laughs> I think it it just suits the Capaldi Capaldi era so well, and that it's another kind of underrated finale episode. Mm, um, yeah, like I said, I kind of I, I almost came back just for this episode when I watched it at the time <laughs> to watch yeah. the regeneration, um, and even then, especially now after having rewatched the whole room, but his his final monologue is just so. It's just so perfect, and it. It's yeah, it's good. <laughs> I could listen to it time and time again. A lot of the others are really kind of, they're emotional because they're almost a little bit desperate and they have like a franticness to them almost. Yeah. It's kind of like the Doctor's wanting to get these final words in just before he goes, yet Capaldi is just feels so considered, so careful. Like we said, every word, every word intentional, every word with feeling and power behind it, and it it just. Again, coming off the back of how much this Doctor changes, 
it just feels so perfect, not just for Peter Capaldi, but for for uh, for Peter, Stephen Moffat as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like it. It's just so more than any of the others. It's just so reflective and contemplative in the way it's delivered and the words themselves. And it's just similarly to how Russell T Davis signed off in a way that really summed up his era and what his kind of his revival was about and his work with David Tennant was about. And as well as kind of summing up his whole run, Stephen Moffat just kind of signs off in perhaps a more subdued way than anyone else signs off. But it just feels Mm. so fitting that it's almost like a smaller, timey-wimey, we've said it again, adventure. (laughs) It just works so well for me. And Mm. it's it's something that I won't forget, and I don't forget. It just works so well. Yeah, I I think think what gets me about it is that whilst the whole episode is about this concert, I like the idea that it ends on a note where both Moffat and Capaldi and the actual character Doctor, I like the idea that it ends on a note of it's okay to move on, it's fine, mm. it's not the end of the world. Like, yeah. I think sometimes with the Doctor changing, and it makes sense in terms of stakes, in terms of saying goodbye to an actor that you've, you've loved as a character, it makes sense to treat it as like a big death scene. But what mm. I really enjoy about Peter Capaldi's scene is that he... He purposely is saying to the next doctor, whoever it is, what to do. Like, love is always wise, hate is always foolish, uh, uh, laugh hard, run fast, be kind. Like, all these, like, weird sort of lessons that you feel like, especially if this doctor has actually learned during his run. Um, mm. I think sometimes with the doctor, you can feel like he just knows these things because he's been alive so long that, of course, he's going to be a nice person. But the Pete Capaldi, there's a genuine sense of, like, an arc that happened. Um, a really quite massive change that happened to make him the type of character who going forward his advice is to be kind like it's mm. it's interesting and it's so heartfelt and more at peace than I think any doctor ever, ever be before when saying goodbye um, mm. even his last line isn't you know I don't want to go or anything like that it's like uh, doctor I let you go like it's this yeah. total acceptance that things move forward and that's just how it goes and I love his, uh, the, this before he decides to regenerate, the exhaustion of, um, he looks at, like, the, the TARDIS computer and has the galaxy, galaxy on it, and he just goes, ah, the galaxy. He's like, ah, oh, God, ah, <laughs> oh, the galaxy. <laughs> it's always unraveling, and it's always me having to fix it, and it'll get it all wrong about me. Um, I just love that idea, and I think it's just a perfect note to end on, and I think not to get a bit sad about what's coming next or go into it as we're not, you know, until next week. It's sort of like a, at least at this point in time, it's, for me at least, the last time Doctor Who was this good. <laughs> um, and that's kind of a bit of a sad note about it. Um, so when you're watching this episode, you can't help but feel like, really respect it for what it is and how good it is now, <laughs> if that makes sense, because it's really good now and we're about to have a bit of a, a strange error, we'll say. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We'll get to it next week. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think a, a weirdly unexpected way to handle the ending that lands extremely well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's. I think it. it yeah, it, it. It does work well because of those kind of versions before it. I think it's a good example of how this Capaldi run manages to kind of refresh. The whole series, the whole show, mm. in that it's more of a more of a subtle, more of a you know, he is a gothic doctor, he is a bit darker, but it's just it just 
after so many seasons, after 11 seasons this is, it still feels like you're seeing something new with this Doctor. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's kind of, you know, it, this version carries that through right to the end. Definitely, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think definitely the most underrated version of the character. Um, mm. And I really love Capaldi in the role. Yeah, me too. I think, yeah, on a rewatching, getting through his entire, you know, all the episodes, I think I'm, I'm very much in a strange situation right now. Whenever I think about who's my favourite Doctor, I have this tendency to be like, oh yeah, Matt Smith. But at the same time, just below that, I'm just thinking, but Peter Capaldi is so good. <laughs> he's, when he gets good writing, he's he's like the best, in my opinion. Um, mm. Yeah, so I think... Yeah, do you want to add anything else, like the, the overall Moffat era, or just leave it there? <laughs> I think, just, just kind of to recap what I mentioned before, I think Moffat does an excellent kind of a job of marshalling what would be a really difficult kind of period when the show the show is moving through eras not just mm. within itself but in terms of real time and yeah. it never for me feels like it's left behind it always manages to so, so sometimes it kind of struggles a bit more you know we talked about them those series where it feels a little more jarring and there are a few kind of obstacles with the, with the production and the way it's structured but for the most part, it you know it stays fresh. It stays interesting, even though it's approaching like eleven seasons since the reboot. Yeah. Um, and I think he does, he does an excellent job, perhaps more than anyone else, of just bringing big ideas and ambitious ambitious concepts, and pulling them off because, you know, they're exceptionally difficult things. The things he's trying to write, and he does it in a way that is effective and powerful in many many respects and i just admire what he kind of does i mean sometimes especially towards the end of his run he does get a bit of criticism from people and i do understand that to some degree but i just really appreciate what he, what he did on the show and i think his ambition and his ability to execute that ambition especially in the smaller isolated stories is something that you know i really really enjoy um, what about you yeah i think i think, think for me it's like yeah to wrap it up i think similar to kind of what you're saying and what's I think at the beginning I think when it comes to his taking the doctor I think it's kind of an interesting kind of seeing the whole thing from a bird's eye point of view being like series 5 or series 10 and kind of seeing him really nail a big climatic universe collapsing story and then to try and kind of one up himself a few times here and there or even trying to kind of just play you know trying to match the standards set by uh, Russell, T. Russell T. Davis earlier mm-hmm. on um, and I think what's interesting is watching him really nail that and then try and doing it better and not doing it quite as good but yeah I think yeah going from like this kind of a big big kind of uh, story of season of series 5 and then seeing like kind of like him learning what his best strength is in the series 8 onwards really which is the smaller stuff um, mm-hmm. I love that kind of seeing that happen that happen and I kind of like I almost feel like Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi even though they have the same writer are almost like an inverse of each other mm, or yeah. almost couldn't be more opposite um, I think that's what's most fascinating about it and I think yeah I, I think I still stick by what I've always kind of thought which is boss T- uh, Davis might have done better you know series long arcs and kind of arcs and spinning the plates and all that um, I do think when Moffat gets it right he gets it uh, the best, I think. Mm, yeah, um, I agree. 
Yeah. So I think that's kind of my thoughts summed up. Um, mm, yeah. So I guess that's it for this era. Um, yeah. We did assume that we could do Chibnall uh, today, but looking at the time, I don't think we can. <laughs> we were a little um, ambitious. Yeah. So we'll get to that next week, which will be uh, an interesting thing. To <laughs> oh, it will. Because it's, it's, you know, it's just a different thing. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so yes, to wrap up, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I think we had a lot of fun talking about this era. It's very much a strange era, but very fun. Um, mm. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, let us know what you think in the comments and any way you want to contact us, we'll try to get back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, we have an Instagram account at Marvelous Cinema Podcast. Uh, do reviews of Sherlock Holmes at the moment and various things that are coming out. Um, and honestly, this podcast is coming out every Wednesday. Um, yep. But yeah, thank you for listening and goodbye. Yeah, thank you for listening. Bye.